as artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore, AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing. They're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us go to gigantic.is that's gigantic.is and save your seat for our january cohort your potential is gigantic and we're here to help you reach it go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today this podcast is brought to you in part by earth class mail making your snail mail as convenient as email Go to earthclassmail.com forward slash rocketship for an exclusive discount. Welcome to the Rocketship Podcast. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Joelle Goldman. And I'm Matt Goldman. Today we talked with Paul Bradley, the founder of Aventric. What'd you guys think? Yeah, this was great hearing about kind of the the startup from software in the 90s um, into the 2000s and finally um, it being fully relevant in, in today's kind of uh, newer economy. So it was interesting to hear about his journey in the last 15 years to build a music-based software company. Um, Joel, what did you think? 
Yeah, I thought it was really interesting to hear how changes in the music industry, um, even just in the last like five years, have totally changed uh, the value and the relevancy of his business. And it's things like that that like he couldn't foresee that ten years ago. And there's things that we can't see in our businesses that. Um, or at least the industries that we're in that are going to change, that are going to affect us down the road. Um, and so it was kind of fun to hear him talk in retrospect about those things and see how they've figured things out along the way. So great episode. Let's get into it. Alex Bloomberg is a master storyteller. You probably know him from This American Life or his other podcast, Startup. He's offering a course on Creative Live all about how to tell a great story. And we've got a sneak peek for you right here. Anyone can benefit from learning to tell better audio stories, whether you're a reporter on the radio or you're an entrepreneur trying to tell an effective story about your business. Maybe you just have a job where you need to communicate effectively to large groups of people. Anybody can benefit from learning to tell a better story. In this workshop, what I'm doing is sort of unpacking what exactly is a story, how can you be effective in telling stories, and how can you lay them out in a way that they get maximum impact to your audience. Go to creativelive.com forward slash rocketship to save 30% off this course and others. So, Paul, welcome. Well, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. We're excited to have you on here um, talking a bit about Eventric. Um, and you guys have quite the fascinating backstory coming as musicians moving into technology. Um, kind of take us through some of those, those early days uh, getting started. Yeah, no, happy to. It's a story I've told many a times um, with with some degree of uh, consistency over the years from what I can remember. Um, but yeah, long story short, kind of during college, I got the music bug, started a promotion company. This was in the early 90s, bringing in um, you know small bands at the time like Dave Matthews Band and you know a few other kind of the jam bandy things you know, to my small university in Des Moines, Iowa. And so that kind of gave me the bug of, you know, hey, I don't know what I want to do, but I like being in the music business. Um, so graduating, finally, I moved back to Chicago and was immediately hooked up with this small band's record label where I was just an intern and, you know, literally doing kind of the crappy intern record label type of things. Sure. Uh, that band was called Drawers. Long story short, after about three months, um, they released their current drummer, um, and kind of leaned over at me and said, Hey, you can drive the van and you know how to, you know, settle shows. Why don't you be our drummer, you know, for this next three week tour. So I had about a week to, you know, learn everything that they had done. And it was supposed to be kind of a, you know, quick three week interim position until they found a real drummer. And, you know, nine years later, I was still being in the band, <laughs> No way. you know, which was, uh, I'm sure my parents were big supporters, but at a certain point they're probably like, wow, great. Four years of education and you go join a band super <laughs> so the um the i mean actually they were the most you know encouraging ones on it yeah uh, you know looking back which was very fortunate yeah. but during that time when i was touring um especially when i kind of collaborated with uh you know what um, one of our sound engineers we would just develop you know very simple filemaker based software and in fact uh the co-founder of the company ian coon had been with the Smashing Pumpkins beforehand, and he had developed some slick little kind of touring software. And then when he joined my band as an audio engineer, he brought the software, and we kind of geeked out and said, hey, look at, you know, I'll show you mine if you show me yours type of thing. Uh, and that turned into uh, kind of a collaborative thing, you know, over the next year or so when we toured together. And 
then he, um, you know, kind of one of the pivotal points, you know, in the company, and this was well before, you know, any idea of a company was formed. He was hired by the Dave Matthews Band uh, to be their monitor engineer. Um, and that, uh, you know, kind of, this was mid nineties, late nineties ish. And anyway, long story short, he brought the software that we had to them. You know, they were huge supporters of it initially investors and kind of, um, the software to helping it, you know, develop it. I, I spent a lot of time with the band and with Ian, you know, kind of, uh, you know, developing the software as the Dave Matthews band needed it and kind of as they grew and they expanded and, you know, different functionality. And so at that point it was just kind of a, guest list, hotel management, you know, schedule management system. Um, but then over the years, you know, with kind of connections to these bands, you know, including Dave and Neil Young and Foo Fighters and Third Eye Blind, you know, we were able to develop stuff that seemed to be working for all of them. Um, and this was still, you know, FileMaker based and we weren't trained, um, you know, trained developers by any stretch. You know, we were just kind of hacking our way through. So, but it was that point, you know, and there, there were certain early events, you know, where investors came in and, you know, kind of some heavy hitters in the music industry were saying, this was great, you know, you should do this, you should do that. So it became one of these things that helped form kind of the original structure of the software that we had. And then, you know, at a certain point, we're like, hey, uh, you know, maybe we shouldn't, you know, keep giving this away for free. I wonder if we could charge people for it. And, you know, in fact, the, the first guy that ever paid for it, it was one of those conversations. I'm sitting on a tour bus. He loves the software. I'm more than willing to just give it to him for free, you know, including all the support he needs. And then he just said, okay, you know, Whipsaw's checkbook, how much is it? I'm like, uh, that's a good question. <laughs> I'm like, how much do you want to pay? You know, so it was kind of one of those like great, you know, business school pricing right, models right. that, uh, you know, I'm sure uh, on the fly, yeah. on the fly, totally. So anyway, but that that was kind of the point where I'm like, okay, people will pay for this. So how long was that from kind of like how long were you giving it away for free? Probably, you know, it it, it was kind of a thing we were doing on the side. Um, we were doing a lot of other database, uh, you know, some pretty cool, innovative database things for for tours. We were, you know, this is the you know late '90s. We were helping you know configure these pretty intricate Wi-Fi systems for. Uh, for Dave Matthews in particular, to help them with connectivity when they would go play these big, you know, arenas that you, at the time there was no, you know, airport routers. There weren't mm -hmm. these things to kind of help them. And, and they wanted to link all of their computers together so that our database could talk to each other so that they could share set lists and notes and have up-to-date information. You know, this was well before it was web-based. You know, so much we take for granted, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. No, it's it's uh, it was amazing that, um, and we forgot who we partnered with in the early days on this. But, uh, you know, they were, they had these massive antenna, um, you know, probably three or four of these massive antennas that they'd bring into the, the arena, you know, including the front of house, including backstage stage, you know, just to pump Wi-Fi throughout the system so that our database could connect to everyone's, you know, IMAX, uh, you know, um, so that was kind of, you know, we, we were doing a lot of these other projects hmm. without the idea that, you know, our, our core product master tour was going to be, you know, the basis of a company. And were you part of the, sorry, if I missed it with Dave Matthews, were you part of the touring, um, like, uh, like support? Were you tour support? Were you touring with them or was this just kind uh, yeah, of working with no, them? No, Ian, uh, the co-founder of the company, you know, he was part of their core team. Okay. Um, but yeah, I would just hang around for a few days here and there, a week here and there and tour, you know, and just be happy that I could kind of be part of kind of the development of all this stuff. Wow. Okay. So it was a, you know, it's a great experience. I mean, just with, again, you know, being able to be in that environment in the early days, 
you know, as we were forming this idea for the software and then, you know, and, and that's truly why it became a company because, you know, we were fortunate to be part of that organization that, you know, was very interested and supportive, you know, of the software. And then just by the nature of being with that band, you met all these other people, right. you know, that were support acts or that were just colleagues of the band, you know, again, that were very supportive and kept driving the direction of the software, you know, the accounting, you know, the accountant for the, the tour would be like, Hey, this is great, but how come I don't have a module to settle shows? And merch guy was like, I need something here. And the archiving guy was like, I need something there. So that's pretty much, you know, for five or six years, all we did, you know, was just built it around there you know, kind of requirements, um, eventually forming it into a solution that we're like, Hey, we could, we could package this and we could, we could license this. Um, so it was kind of right around 2000, 2001 that it became, you know, a legitimate company. Uh, and this is the earlier stage kind of pre eventric, okay. uh, that we did this. Um, and we were, you know, still about 50% doing this stuff, kind of learning bootstrapping. You know, we hadn't raised any money at that time. Um, I was getting off the road. I decided, okay, I'm not going to you know, be a rock star, obviously. I better find you know, a real job, but didn't want to go to a desk job. I didn't want to have to actually go you know, to a job interview. So the, the driving force of this was to make it work so I didn't have to have a, a real job at any point. <laughs> Knock on wood. I still don't. It still worked, right? <laughs> yeah, you, you guys aren't going to ask for my resume. I mean, it's about three sentences. <laughs> Dang it, yeah. <laughs> Um, so, you know, that kind of carried through the 2000s and it was right around, uh, 2009, uh, 2008, you know, that the software that we had built again, still in FileMaker was just breaking apart at the seams. And you know, we had a couple hundred clients on it that were paying not enough, you know, to do anything, but just keep, you know, the kind of software licenses going. Um, you know, and so that was kind of another very pivotal point in the business where I'm like, okay, first of all, you know, we got to change the name. You know, it has to be something that is more identifiable, you know, to the touring and event industry. And we wouldn't, didn't want to, you know, this was, you know, a very interesting, you know, part of the history of the company. It's, as anyone knows, going through a name change, yeah. um, you know, and, and having consultants come in and say, no, that name's terrible. You need, you know, a new name, which, you know, it's kind of like your baby. Like, if you change the name, no one's going to know who we are. You know, it's going to fail overnight. So I kind of went through that painful exercise, but fortunately I had a lot of, you know, really creative and smarter people around me to help guide through that. And it was right around the time, you know, of, of, of raising, you know, where I figured out, okay, if we really want to make this, it's, it's, uh, we can't bootstrap this anymore. You know, it's been 10 years, you know, of, you know, 14 hour days, lots of travel, lots of personal, you know, sweat and personal investment into the company. Um, you know, so it was kind of a very long extended trial period until I figured, okay, it's interesting enough where I think I can raise some money. Um, and I, now I know what, you know, it's very clear, you know, the direction is very clear of what I want to do. And we have a product and we have customers. So that was, uh, you know, kind of another big, you know, tipping point of the business was realizing that we can't continue at the way we're going. We need to hire real developers, a sales team support, you know, kind of the whole infrastructure. Um, and that's going to require, you know, getting funding. Absolutely. Yeah. So, well, I'm curious, um, you know, from 2000 to 2009, um, you know, you're working with some of the biggest acts at that time. Yep. Um, why, why weren't you able to charge more um, to, to kind of bootstrap it into, you know, hiring developers and a sales team? Yeah, I think, you know, mainly because that, you know, it was, you know, we, we don't, we, we didn't and still don't have a lot of comparables in this industry. Mm -hmm. um, we were developing a system that we were introducing to these bands. Um, 
that you know pretty much were saying, okay, use this instead of email, faxes, spreadsheets, you know, calling each other a hundred times. You know, so we kind of it wasn't like we were going in and saying, here's a better Salesforce, you know, here's a better Uber. Mm. So it was very difficult to go to you know any of our big clients, you know, who you would think we could charge you know, a pretty significant amount of seat licenses, you know, for, you know, to help fund the company. But it wasn't really a proven thing at that point. We had a lot of people that were kind of ahead of the curve, you know, and wanting to embrace technology. And, and anyone that you talk to in the music industry will tell you and admit that the music industry, you know, is a decade behind technology. I mean, look at the record labels, look at everything out there, you know, so we were kind of introducing this technology to a, you know, a touring industry that was still operating, you know, off fax machines. And so the opposition was like, I could do this for free right now. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. You know, and so it, it, you know, fortunately we were able to, you know, over those years, you know, find the right people that would embrace it. But, you know, they were also not the people that could write the big checks. And, you know, we tried going to some of our, um, you know, some of the other kind of management organizations and artists. And when we were raising money, you know, but again, it's kind of, you know, I get we started raising money right around 2009, which you know is wasn't the best year right, to go right. raise a couple million dollars for an industry that isn't proven, and you don't really have a great you know business plan mapped out. So um, you know that that was a huge challenge, and you know our customers that we had at the time weren't the type that were you know super into technology investments. You know, especially something that was kind of you know, so new. And, you know, again, we were entering into this environment where there was no comparables to say, you know, here's how they're doing it. We can do it a lot better and cheaper. Um, so, you know, we know we'd had to go kind of to outside, you know, institutional uh, angel groups and, you know, whatever we could to kind of raise, you know, raise the money that we needed to, you know, to fund the operations. So did you go um, local or did you go kind of Silicon Valley? Yeah, we did everything. Okay. I mean, and I, I wouldn't probably trade any of that experience um because you know and, and we did silicon valley we did new york we did the midwest you know <clears throat> you know the first raise was a kind of a friends of friends of family and friends of family of family type of round um where it just took a lot of time a lot of massaging the business plan uh you know to find the right people that were kind of excited about it mm. um kind of you know halfway through the seed raise you know is when you know, I think, you know, I realized, okay, it's going to, you know, we originally were raising $400,000 to, you know, which, you know, I thought that's going to be more than I need. That's going to last me for 20 years. My God, 400 grand. <laughs> right. You know, and then you're like, you start hiring people like, oh, you want to make that much? Oh, okay. I see how this works. I've got six months. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, um, you know, and, and another really key thing that I lucked into at the time was I brought in a colleague who became my CEO and, and partner in the company, Brian Carpizo. And, you know, he was coming from a more traditional uh, software background as an entrepreneur had built up kind of a consulting business, really into music. But, you know, he was, you know, he had that kind of operational and business acumen that, that I'd never had, you know, cause I'd just been kind of focused in the music business all of this time. So, you know, very fortunate. And that was another big struggle of bringing someone in, you know, that, you know, for all extents and purposes was in charge um, so that he could focus on the operations and on the fundraising and really kind of button up the company so it looked, you know, presentable uh, while I could continue focusing on product development and kind of the business relationships. Um, you know, so, you know, a very stressful decision, very lucky that I found, 
you know, Brian and that he was excited about, you know, this company as I was. Um, and you, you, you know, you hear, you know, just as many stories of bringing in the wrong guy, you know, that immediately it goes south and immediately you, you know, kind of, you know, start, uh, uh, you know, conflict, you know, having big, you know, conflicts in the direction of the company. So that, that turned out to be just another very pivotal part in the company of bringing in someone that had done that before and had brought that experience, you know, into the business, both on the operational side and kind of the fundraising side. You mentioned that um, back in uh, kind of the early and mid 2000s, one of your bigger struggles was kind of getting people to understand the value of paying mm-hmm. for software. Right. Things have changed a lot just in the last couple of years with um, people's willingness to embrace SaaS. And I'm curious how that's changed uh, how you approach clients and how you charge and, and really kind of your home model now that it's not so hard of a sell to get people to understand the value. Yeah, it, it you know originally, you know our our industry and you know in you know our core product Master Tour is is a scheduling data you know and database system for tours you know so every tour from the Metallicas down to smaller club bands you use it to kind of um, build the tour information reference archive information of what they've done in the past um, but then you know it's all about kind of executing the tour and bringing all of the operational team of a tour together on the same page so. You know, back when we started this, like I said, everybody was used to, you know, you'd, you'd have these guys, you know, which is a tour manager, production manager, or a manager, you know, of a very large band, you know, a million, you know, $10, 20000000 million per tour band, you know, and these guys are, you know, pretty much the operational team of this $20 million company, and they were just using Excel sheets, and they were, you know, faxing, and it was, you know, the, the communications were, you know, pretty archaic. Uh, but that's the way it had been done, and that's the way it's you know been done for 30 years. And you know, a lot of kind of our early customers, you know, had been in the business for 20 or 30 years, so they didn't know any other way of doing these things. You know, so it was very challenging. You know, being kind of a young guy going to them, saying, "Hey, we've got software that you can use to make your job easier." Um, you know, when they say, "Well, you know, I've been doing this for 20 years, and I've been doing it the same way for 20 years. Why do I need anything different?" And kind of to your point, there wasn't you know, they weren't using other tools or databases or, you know, applications, um, you know, to help them with their job. They were just using spreadsheets. So, you know, back then it was more of a trust thing and, and, you know, finding the few people that, you know, kind of understood what we were trying to do and, you know, were interested in kind of going along for the ride. It's a lot easier now in a lot of ways. Um, One, because we you know, we're, we're kind of the industry standard now for this type of application. We don't have a lot of competition. Um, so people are still either using our system or they're not using, you know, they might use their own kind of homegrown database that they've developed over the years. Um, you know, so it's only, I think, easier now because our customers, yes, they're they're more, you know, um, you know, they're more welcoming to software and to applications and to things to help them do their job better. Uh, but just as much, you know, now that we've got a pretty significant amount of the tours using it, that they see other people using it. And so it's been, you know, 99% of our growth has been word of mouth. You know, fortunately in this industry for us, a tour manager that works with Third Eye Blind is also going to work with three other bands over the course of a year. So if you get him to be a champion of the software for his one band, you know, easily within a year he's going to be with another organization and he brings the software with him and introduces it to, you know, the new tour. And most of the time it, it works that way, you know, where, um, you know, they, they kind of keep rotating in this world and bringing our software along with them. So that, you know, that's, that's been 
definitely, you know, the, the key to our growth. Um, but certainly, you know, the people are more open to it. And there's been a, a significant kind of younger generation now that are tour managing, production managing, or managing these big tours. And they've never grown up without technology, you know, assisting them, uh, you know, in their lives. So it's it's getting easier and easier. You know, we're getting, you know, still a good amount of the kind of, you know, the uh, old guard using our software. But the young guys coming in expect something like this, you know, and they're, they're definitely more open to it. I'm curious kind of how that has changed for you as the landscape of music has changed where like labels are maybe a little bit less important these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and the independent artists, artists without labels or very small labels are still touring, um, but may not have the big budgets that they used to. Um, how do, how do you guys kind of fit into that ecosystem? Yeah, and you know our our offering is all about efficiencies. You know, the, in the early days, it was very difficult to go to a tour and say license this offer from us, and you're going to sell, you know, 500 more tickets. Mm. You know, so there wasn't like a immediate ROI on what they were paying for. Um, and again, a lot of our users were employees of the management team or the band, which the band or the managements are paying them to do their job. So they would. Right sometimes be challenged going to the management team and saying, Hey, I need more money for this application. You know, and the expectation was the, the artist or the manager would be like, well, we're paying you to do your job. Like we're not going to pay you extra to do your job. You know, we're paying you anyway. Like if you want to use that software, you know, it's up to you. You know, now that we've introduced a lot more of the mobile applications and a lot more functionality that the management can use, you know, it becomes kind of a budgeted item in a tour for most of our customers, you know, so it's a lot easier to, you know, just have this as a reoccurring um, necessity of a tour. Um, you know, so yeah, it's, it's the music industry, you know, has definitely changed, fortunately, you know, for the better for what we do. If, if you know, we had started off and pivoted to, you know, record label management software, I don't think we'd be in business right now because the whole thing, you know, everything has shifted from, where, you know, in the 90s, it was, hey, let's go sell, you know, 5 million albums in a week and then tour, you know, lose boatloads of money on the tour just to promote the album. And it's completely flipped now where, you know, they're giving away their music. You know, every artist is, you know, they're either giving it away or they don't, you know, realize they're not going to make any money on that album, no matter how good it is or how popular it is with their fans. But it's reversed. Now they give away the music to make, you know, a profit on the tour. You know, so our software kind of fits into that, you know, ecosystem of efficiencies, you know, so use our software, tour better, more efficiently, make more money on the road because you can focus on the things that really make money, making the right decisions about routing, making the right decisions about staffing and the amount of production you need. Um, You know, so it, it really comes down to that. No, that actually makes a lot of sense. And I hadn't thought about that before you said it, but it's true. The, the, like monetizing music has totally shifted to touring. Yeah, touring and merch. Yeah. You know, and and the other cool thing, it's you know, it's not you know, it's not unfavorable now to license your music, you know, to commercials or to movies or to T V shows or to video games. Mm-hmm. You know, so artists really, you know, try to capitalize on that. Um, you know, where they can make a you know a significant chunk of their revenue by licensing music. Um, so yeah, it's it's licensing, it's uh, merchandise and it's touring. I mean, that's, you know, 90% of a tour, you know, of an artist's, you know, revenue this year, which certainly helps us because, um, you know, now, you know, any artist knows that they have to play shows to make money and to build their fan base. Right. You know, so there's significantly more tours out there. Um, we, you know, we've always focused on kind of a certain set of tour kind of, 
you know that club level and about you know and above the you know our software doesn't necessarily work great for you know a singer songwriter that's just playing a few shows a month in a coffee shop because they don't really need anything they're going to show up they're going to get a hundred dollars guarantee they know they're going on at 10 a.m and they got three people on the guest list like that right <laughs> you know, that's kind of all they need and they can do that just as well now with dropbox google calendar you know yeah you know all these web services that didn't exist you know 10 years ago you know so our software plays in to a tour that is a professional tour they're a career touring artist they've got a team you know they've got a tour manager they've got a management or a label person or a publicist or one or any of those um you know which is another key part and kind of how we fit in you know that uh you know how artists can really you know their their career can really benefit now from utilizing all these tours like ours like master tour um but band camp and you know, bands in town and ad venue and, you know, there's all these great services that help the artists promote themselves, connect with their fans, sell tickets, you know, and, and negotiate social media. Our stuff, fortunately and unfortunately, because it's a niche market, is all kind of behind the stage. You know, it's it's all, you know, how do we get this tour to operate more efficiently? You know, how do we utilize the data from our last tour to make better decisions moving forward? Yeah, it sounds like there is a definite ROI tied to the software. Yeah, you know, I, I still wish I had that, you know, that spreadsheet that I could show new customers saying, yep, use our software for three months and, you know, you gain this, you know, this, that, and the other. Um, you know, it's it, that's been one of the challenges on how to kind of visualize what they're, you know, what these people are saving because it's, you know, it's an efficiency tool. So you can just say this is going to save in, in kind of the biggest thing that we try to translate kind of in the sales is, you know, like I mentioned before, some of these tour managers that are on arena tours, you know, they are pretty much the COO of a, you know, $50 million a year company, Mm -hmm. but their responsibilities include getting the band on the stage, you know, negotiating hotel rates, you know, settling shows, you know, with uh, the promoter, but also, you know, I've seen these guys, you know, have to change the ink cartridge, you know, of their printer right? and like hand towels to, you know, the artists coming off the stage. So it's, it's an incredibly impressive amount of work that these guys do. And plus they're putting in literally 18 hour days, sleeping four hours on a bus all to do it again the next day. So, you know, we try to convince people that, you know, use our software so that you're not reformatting a day sheet or the settlement sheet is, you know, a template and it looks the same and it works the same every single show. You're not mm-hmm. reconstructing this just because, you know, a lot of these tours, you know, from one six month tour to another six month tour have a completely different staff, you know, so it's nice, you know, for the management team, especially to bring on a new staff that is familiar with our software. So the, the learning curve and kind of getting them up to speed, um, you know, it's not, they're not coming in, with their new systems telling the management, this is how we're going to do it. You know, we've got a lot of management companies as clients, music management companies as clients that pretty much say, okay, if you're going to tour with us, you need to use master tour because that's how we're used to, you know, it's like Salesforce or anything else. Um, The difference in our environment is, you know, a tour manager can come in, you know, and say, no, I don't want to use Salesforce. I'm going to use my own Salesforce type thing I developed in Microsoft access. And, (laughs) you know, and that, you know, so there isn't a lot of uh, in the past, there wasn't kind of a lot of that, you know, direction from the management team saying, no, this is how you have to tour with us. And so that's, that's helped and changed the business and landscape quite a bit. Very cool. So we get so much kind of negative um, sentiment about what's happening in the music industry. And there's just, mm-hmm. just a lot of turmoil, but what are you excited about um, after being in the industry for 15 years that you're seeing? 
you know, from a fan, it's it's just there's never been a better time, you know, to find and experience music. Um, you know, both from you know the digital side, obviously with Spotify and you know Spotify and Pandora. I mean, when you think about it, you know, I, I can look back at my life, you know, going from albums to CDs, you know, to you know, not that I did, but maybe stealing music off the internet, you know, to <laughs> subs- you know subscriptions and out of Spotify. So you know, there was a period in my life I remember where I was so sick of when you know when we would tour. Back in the '90s, you'd have to bring a case of CDs if yeah. you wanted to listen to music along. So it's so exciting now that you know the interaction and being able, you know, the community and the suggestions that you can benefit from from these streaming services. I, I don't think there's been a better time as a fan to experience music and all these great tools that say, okay, if you you know you like this band, we notice you've been listening to it for a month. Well, there's another band that's just like them that are playing at a club up the street. You know, so. It's, as a fan, it's a great way to experience that, both listening and the kind of live experience. Uh, from a business, too, all of these tools that let us know, you know, um, you know who's in town and, and, you know, and kind of same thing is, is, is very valuable. From a business standpoint, I think, you know, it's gone. As far as the music industry, it's, it's you know, that, that shift from selling albums to losing money on the tour to vice versa. Um you know, I, I think we're at a pretty good point right now where I think the whole streaming royalties for the artists are going to start getting figured out. Everyone likes to paint these streaming services as kind of the evil empire of making billions of dollars and kind of sticking it to the artist, um, you know, which isn't necessarily true in my opinion, uh, but it's it's still been a difficult vehicle for the artists mm-hmm. to monetize from a stream. Um, but I think the tools are catching up to that, and I think the artists are becoming smarter to catch up with that, which is only going to incentivize more people to make music, get their music out there, especially if they can make you know careers from it. And the you know the music business from the promote from the promoters to the booking agencies to the management companies to software companies like ours, you know, is it's also a really exciting period because there's so many you know, different services and applications that are popping up that are just so beneficial for the B2B part of the business, you know, as well to the kind of, you know, you know, to the fans. So I think it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a real exciting time right now to be in this. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's, it's really cool to hear. So, um, where do we keep up with you and Eventric online? So we have a website, called eventric.com um we've got uh you know facebook page twitter instagram um i I think we still have a myspace page if anyone's listening it's still relevant for music kind of right yeah yeah, i don't want to i don't don't want (laughs) to get justin timberlake angry with me but uh, you know that's that's uh for another conversation um yeah, it's you know the the I mean we're all over the internet you know and kind of our you know, the way our system works. Hopefully, if there's some you know music touring professionals out there, it's uh, you know you can find our demo on our website. We've got a great you know sales and support team here in Chicago that uh, you know there's still not a significant amount, but you know a good amount of handholding through kind of the learning curve of the software because it's a it's you know, a pretty big complicated system um, you know when out of the box and it's you know we kind of you know, related to like a Photoshop or a Pro Tools where, you know, there isn't probably one of our users that uses 100% of the application. Um, so we help try to focus, you know, the users on the tasks that they need and, and kind of focus them or direct them towards the modules that, you know, would benefit them. So, yeah, if anyone's listening, there's a free 30-day demo. 
don't tell anyone, but we can, ex- we usually extend that if, if you bitch, you know, uh, complain <laughs> enough that you need more time, we're happy to do that. And man, if anybody, you know, wants to talk about 10 years of bootstrapping a company and, and raising money, you know, over an eight year period and, uh, you know, just that whole part of it, again, I, I, you know, it's, it's nice being in a position at a company now where, you know, we're quote unquote profitable, um, you know, but it's it is I'm sure a lot of other startup, uh, you know, execs, uh, entrepreneurs can identify with. If you've been in your business for you know three, five, ten years, uh, and you're finally profitable, man, that's great. But then you you're always looking back over the ten years, like why why did I do that? Why did I take you know that money? Why did I sign this deal? And I don't think you can you know navigate your business as a startup without completely missing all of these, uh, you know, bad and good opportunities. Uh, but you know, it's, it's, it's a, a wealth of knowledge. I think you could, you could tell somebody about, you know, things that you would, you know, recommend that they don't do as a business. Sure. But when you're sitting there and you have no other options, uh, you know, you're kind of stuck with the, you know, making these things and making these decisions and, and hopefully they don't, you know, completely, you know, uh, you know, bury the business. And we've been fortunate on that respect too. We've, you know, throughout the you know strategic partnerships and the fundraising, uh, you know our investors are great. They're very supportive. Our partners are very supportive and great. And you know, there's there was periods over the last six years where you know we were minutes away of doing a deal out of complete necessity and desperation. And you know, whoever was looking over us did because you know you, you look at these deals and you're like, okay, that's going to help us get to next month, and you and you struggle to look long term on how that's going to affect the business. And so, for the most part, we've you know we've avoided those real long term mistakes, you know, in uh, in building the business. Um, and the know, great that, lessons, yeah, 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 great, great lessons. lessons. And yeah, if I was a better writer, I could I could write a book. <laughs> Some of the people that you know we've been introduced to, and you know, fortunately, have dodged as far as partnerships. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would, I would love to hear more about it. Maybe one day. Um, that sounds yeah. Really cool. No, it's it's therapeutic for me to talk about. Okay. So, you know, I'll talk with anyone. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, no, I love it. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast. If you enjoyed it, we have tons of other awesome episodes on our website. Check them out, rocketship.fm. And while you're there, make sure you sign up for our newsletter, where twice monthly we send out actionable advice for entrepreneurs and exclusive links to AMAs with our guests. That's rocketship.fm. Sign up today.
Wow.